2: Welcome to After Work Drinks, the weekly catch-up between best friends and magazine editors Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill that you get to join in on. Lucky you, lucky you guys.
3: I just spilled my wine everywhere.
2: Hello, professional surfer. The new who's the surfer?
3: (laughs) California (laughs) girl. Kelly Slater. Yep. (laughs) Yesterday I went to the beach and went boogie boarding, and it was the funniest time of my entire life because my friend we were swimming. And there were obviously like kids boogie boarding everywhere, but it looked so fun because the waves were massive. And my friend went and bought us two $15 boogie boards from the convenience shop- store down the road with dolphins all over them. And then we boogie boarded for hours. <laughs> it was so fun, but I got like pummeled by the waves. I actually thought I was gonna die. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I was it's quite um
2: brave of you because my experiences like surfing, boarding of any kind have been terrifying and I just won't do it anymore it
3: was us with 10 year olds (laughs) but I was laughing so hard that I couldn't breathe and so people on the beach were or people who were in the waves with their kids were taking notice of us and like laughing along with us every time we caught a wave and we had this whole community of people that's really nice cheering us on so now I'm a surfer
2: well done I'm proud of you. you can join join a hill on the out on the surf
3: oh that's right two surf stories in two weeks Look at me. <laughs> how are you
2: I'm okay so it's been it's just so funny the um double lives that we're leading at the moment because I'm like how are you and you're like amazing doing this and then it's like how are you and I'm like um oh, sad <laughs> I know. so we just had a little well a big chat about um Sickness, sick parents, how I've been and why I haven't been great, but it's it's gets pretty heavy, so we're going to move it to the end of the podcast, so you can just enjoy some enjoyable content until the end, and then you can listen to our heavy discussion about illness, death,
3: hospitals, COVID, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even just like grief and grieving and why people don't talk about something that's happened to so many people around them. Like we're basically, we talked about how Grace's mum has been sick recently and my dad was sick, but it's like the one thing we'd never talked about in our relationship ever, which is so weird because we talk about everything. But now we're going to leave that to the end because um, there is some lighthearted banter we want to talk about, including, but not limited to the fact that I've found a very hot man, Okay. named thomas Do- doherty i'm gonna google
2: his face this reminds me of like you know all those memes that are like um when you think a guy's hot and then you send him to the group chat <laughs> like
3: a guy you're dating oh yeah i'm not even worried because he's so hot but now i've googled it and, like, you <laughs> i'm not even phased. it's like when you're it's like he when you start like seeing a, he looks like a beautiful woman It's like when you start seeing someone and then they're like, show me a photo. And you're like, why? Yeah, that's what I mean. You're like, he's so hot. And then they're like, oh my God, send me a picture. And then you're like, no. (laughs) There's no good photos. He doesn't like, he doesn't use Instagram, okay? (laughs) This guy, so I've been watching High Fidelity, which is Zoe Kravitz's show, which got cancelled after one season. And then she just called out Hulu about the lack of diversity. And it's been this whole thing. But I was watching it and he came on and he was ridiculously good looking. So then I Googled him and went on his Instagram and he has like five million Instagram fans because he's um, a Disney kid.
2: Ah, He's just the
3: generation below me. <laughs> I was like, he looks a bit young, but that's okay. I think he's 25 or something.
2: So how is High Fidelity? Because I've read, I've read the book. And oh, yeah. It's obviously about a white man. So they've flicked. Switched it up for the show.
3: Who's the book by?
2: Nick Hornby. Oh, I've read it as well. Yeah, it's like one of those books that's in every single op shop because I, th- yes. I think it had a big moment in '04 or something, and now it sits. Yeah,
3: on Eat, Pray, Love. So the the show is great. I love Zoe Kravitz so much, um but I can kind of so it's that it's that kind of thing where she speaks to the camera, but it kind of doesn't work as well. In this context but then when she's not speaking to the camera and it's just like a normal show it's really good i think and then also the other thing is it just doesn't seem as believable that zoe kravitz is kind of pining after all of these guys that dumped her because she's literally exactly like herself in the show she's super super cool she wears her own clothes she's self-styled so everything she's wearing is, it literally looks like you're watching zoe kravitz then they turn her into this woman who Is kind of pining after these guys who don't like her and it just doesn't fit. This is what I wondered when I saw
2: the show announced. I haven't watched it because the movie version was with John Cusack, who's not a super good looking guy. He's he really mirrored what the book was meant to be, which was meant to be a kind of not middle aged, but like a guy in his 30s who's a bit of a I don't know what the word is not a not a soft boy but those guys who are like my music tastes better than yours and I have really good taste in movies and he was meant to be that kind of guy like a bit of a dickhead who has pushed all these girlfriends away because he has these ridiculously high standards that even he doesn't meet and then he realizes that he's been an asshole and goes back around and I just couldn't see that happening with Zoe Kravitz because no man would dump Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not meant to be a super cool, super slick, awesome, hot girl. It's meant to be a kind of embarrassing dude that was lucky to get the girls he had in the first place.
3: Yeah, no, that's not the case. She's
2: really, really cool. Which is fine. Just, cha- just change the story a bit. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I am. I, I'll, it's the kind of show that I'll just put on in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it could have gotten a second season because it could have gotten better for sure on to my favorite story of the day. Kelly Ann Conway, who you probably know her name because she works for Trump and has been quite vocal in her defense of his batshit crazy ideas and speeches and energy. She announced that she was quitting her job at the White House um, and then a couple of Minutes later, her husband George also announced he's quitting his job and he doesn't work for Trump, but he's also a Republican and works in politics. And the reason that people think that they quit their jobs is because their daughter, Claudia, who's 15 years old, is like this massive star on TikTok and she's really vocally anti-Trump and posts these incredible TikTok videos of slamming Trump and she's super left wing and she asked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to adopt her and has been really vocal in the fact that she opposes her parents' views and hates that her mum was going to speak at the Republican convention and everything. So she's a bloody legend. She's
2: incredible. Um, I'm so happy that you alerted me to this little amazing human. She's trying to get emancipated from her parents, but she says that that's not because um, of their jobs, although that's part of it. And then people were praising her dad, George Conway, because he's a never Trump Republican. And she tweeted, As for my dad, politically, we agree on absolutely nothing. We both just happen to have common sense when it comes to our current president. Stop standing him. <laughs> so good. And she goes, My mother. So her mum is the woman who coined alternative facts as a phrase. She's the person who said that Trump lying about the size of his inauguration. Um, videos were alternative facts. So, very instrumental, terrible person in the Trump campaign. And she tweeted, My mother's job ruined my life to begin with. Heartbreaking that she can continue to go down that path after years of watching her own children suffer. Selfish. It's all about money and fame, ladies and gentlemen.
3: And now her mum's quit. Yeah, she's a fucking legend. And the stuff she puts on TikTok is so funny. So, Trump will post a tweet about like covid or something and go open the schools and then she'll tweet back you're a fucking idiot and then do um the fingers at him (laughs) she's a legend oh i'm a fan of hers me pulling up to the family reunion after trump loses (laughs) oh my god why is she such a legend we need to get her on the podcast i know let's put out some feelers so anyway that's my favorite bit of news from
2: today. So something that I know we've both been obsessed with in the last 24 hours is Vanity Fair's new issue, um, which was guest edited by ta Coates, who is the author of probably one of the best books on race I have read in the last few months. It's called Between the World and Me, and it's a long letter to his 15-year-old son, and I think it should be required reading for everyone. He has decided to put Brianna Taylor on the cover of Vanity Fair in a portrait painted by Amy Sherald, who did that incredible first lady portrait of Michelle Obama, and he kind of ghost wrote the profile uh, from the perspective of Tamika Palmer, who is Brianna Taylor's mother, and the like portraits that were part of the. Story are just really heartbreaking. They feature pictures of her partner, Kenneth Walker, holding the engagement ring he was planning to propose to her with holding pictures of children's shoes that they'd bought for their first child together.
3: Yeah, and the the piece written in Tamika's words is also awful. She talks all about getting the call from Kenny, Brianna's partner, um, telling her that telling her that she'd been shot. Um, going to the hospital, thinking that her daughter was okay and would be at hospital, like, getting treatment for the gunshot wounds. Finding out hours and hours and hours later that she was still in her home, um, not knowing until on, she found out on the news that it was actually the police who were behind it. She had the police questioning her when she got to the scene, saying, who were they involved with? Like, were they doing anything wrong? Um, you know, like, who could have done this? And it was the police who did it. And she didn't find out till the next day. And then... Um, on the news how they were positioning it as if they were drug dealers when it was just the police had gotten the completely wrong home and it just stormed in without a warrant and had opened fire um they were trying to charge kenny she the next day they were trying to charge kenny with attempted murder and her daughter's dead like it's just it's like the most heart-wrenching heartbreaking story it just gives you shivers the whole time you read it it's so sad yeah and then today um another black man was shot in the u.s in Wisconsin so he was trying to break up a like like a fight between two women on the street and someone called the police and the police arrived his name's Jacob Blake and he had pulled over his car and his kids were sitting in the car in their car seats and he pulled over the car helped and he was going back to his car to drive off and there were two police officers following him As he opened the door of his car, the police shot him at really incredibly close range, seven times in the back. He was unarmed. His kids were in the car watching as this all happened. And he was just trying to break up a fight between two women. It's like beyond comprehension.
2: It's just so fucking horrendous. I just don't understand what we're supposed to do. Just no one has learned anything. How, like How is that possible that the police can do that to someone? Surely the steps of escalation need to go from there to 100 before you even consider pulling your weapon on someone, say so nothing of shooting seven times.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. And and also someone was videoing the whole thing and now the video is being shared on social media. And when the video of George Floyd went viral, obviously people seeing what happened was probably quite instrumental in this whole movement going crazy. But it's also like we should not have to watch someone being murdered on fi- like on film to believe it's happening and to do something about it and also it's really really fucking traumatic for people to be scrolling along their feed and be seeing someone being murdered so just I just think just please don't share these videos you don't have to watch it
2: yeah i think sharing the videos saying people need to watch this people need to know what happened is just such nonsense i think about for example domestic violence murders and we can hear about domestic violence murders and know that they're horrendous without ever feeling like we would need to watch the footage of the death happening i think that there is footage of football players beating up their girlfriends in lifts for example and things like that and the public just seems to understand that we do not want that footage being shared around on social media because it's foul and we don't need to watch it to understand that violence against women is Wrong. I don't understand why there's this strange thing that seems to exist when black men are killed or are attacked or shot that it's somehow okay to share it around because just knowing the thing that happened isn't enough. I don't get that.
3: Yeah, it seems insane. And also, a whole lot of black people have said that it is incredibly traumatic to see that and to see it shared on social media as if it's content. Like a murder is not content to be consuming. It's like a snuff film, it's
2: just foul.
3: Yeah, and it should not be normal to be watching people getting murdered on your Instagram grid. So, yeah, and also another thing is it's like, even, for example, in Breonna Taylor's case, the police were trying to say it was a drug raid. Okay, even if that were the case, which it's not, when you are raiding someone's house is the first thing you do, open fire on whoever's inside, even people asleep in their beds. Like, it, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Resisting arrest... Or not complying with the police or like George Floyd was stealing from the grocery store does not mean you should get fucking murdered and shot in broad daylight like it's like why are people bringing up these things you don't have to be Elijah McCann who's this like loving kind vegetarian boy to not be killed by the police killed by
2: police officers exactly I feel like that's the biggest thing that people miss I think about Rayshard Brooks who was killed by police officers in June and how, again, that footage was fucking shown everywhere and how people were kind of breaking down the minutiae of this altercation because he was really drunk and then he got into like uh, um, physical altercation with the police officers and then he ran off with one of their tasers and they shot him in the back and killed him. And I think that that case, it's like the question shouldn't be, what did someone do beforehand? Was that person violent? What was the nature of the crime they were being arrested for? It should be how dire should a situation be before a police officer feels like it's okay to shoot open fire on a civilian. Like that's the terrifying part that everyone should be concerned about. It really is not relevant, the criminal history of the people who are involved. Certain aspects leading up to the crime, I guess, are relevant, but it's not The Elijah McCain thing was really interesting because it showcased that we have a much easier time condemning police violence when we think of the person as a morally pure good person than we do if we think the person could have a criminal record or be not an imperfect person, which is just extremely fucked.
3: It's extremely fucked. So here we are again and... I would like to point everyone to our episode on June 9th, which is about defunding the police and why that is so important and why we need to keep pushing for that to happen in the US and Australia, actually. Um, It's called This Is Not The Time For A Turf War, and it kind of explains everything about why defunding the police is not this crazy thing concept to get your head around. It's literally just taking some of the money out of the heavily overfunded police department and instead funneling it into things like social services and community services and places that will actually help. Kind of in relation to this,
2: I watched one of Izzy's recommendations right when she told me to for the first time this week. Go me. For the first time ever this week, you mean? For the first time ever, yeah, yeah, ever. It was because last night, so it's called Lovecraft Country and Izzy told me to watch it, and it's fantastic. And you can watch it in Australia legally through a website called binge.com.au. <laughs> that doesn't sound legal. It sounds so not legit, but it's Foxtel's streaming service, hmm. which I which I desperately needed five years ago when they had The Real Housewives of Melbourne on there. And it has all the HBO shows.
3: Oh, amazing. That's so good. Mm. So, yeah, Lovecraft Country, Started last week. The first episode came out last week. The second episode is out now, and I think I'm watching it tonight, actually. It stars Journey Smollett, who's a bit of a legend. She was in um, the latest Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad movie.
2: Ah, she's and so great in this. I feel like it's yeah, going to make her a so massive star. Yeah,
3: And Jonathan Majors and courtney b vance who i don't know who they are but they are fucking great actors
2: courtney b vance was um johnny cochran in the people versus oj Ah,
3: he was like the best part of that whole series yeah
2: and he's married to angela bassett which just means he's a badass
3: yeah jonathan majors is very hot if i do say so myself
2: i know a lot of tight t-shirts in that series a lot of
3: tight (laughs) t-shirts one time he like whacked a um fire hydrant and there's water mm. going everywhere and he took his shirt off. And I was like, hello. <laughs> but uh yeah, Lovecraft Country. It's really good. Basically, it is set in the 1950s um, when the main guy, this hottie, his name's Atticus, is riding a segregated bus from Florida to Chicago because his dad's gone missing. And when he's in Chicago, so it's still, and it's very, very heavily race related, this show um and it's still in there's still segregation the south is still really incredibly racist i mean obviously all of america but the south's really bad and they start driving south to try and find where his dad has gone this these three characters and um they drive through sundown towns which i had no idea even existed did you know that
2: No, I
3: didn't know it was actually a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's real. So there were full towns in America where if you were caught driving through, if you were black and you were caught there past sundown, they would kill you. It's so fucked. It's crazy. I googled it afterwards. I was like, surely this isn't real. And then they, and then it's kind of a little bit like Stranger Things esque towards the end of episode one.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a sci-fi slash horror type of thing it's so H.P. Lovecraft wrote a whole bunch of sci-fi pulp fiction novels in the 20s at some point in his life and he was a horrible horrible racist yeah and the book and the show is kind of referencing that while also taking inspiration from his work and um, it's produced by Jordan Peele who did get out and us so there's obviously this element of using like the horror genre to make really powerful statements about race in america and the thing that's really incredible when you watch the first episode is that there's literally supernatural monsters trying to kill people and they're not as bad as the racist white cops yeah (laughs) you hate the the racist white cops the most and it 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 really is horror is the best way to explore the experience of race in america because it's a fucking horror story like the sundown town thing what like that in itself is worse than any horror writer could write a story about it's just so awful so it's just yeah it's a really fucking clever show feel like it's going to be really big i think you're right
3: yeah and there was a really amazing piece by zebra Blay in the huffington post writing about how kind of now since these all these all the anti-racist process that there's been this period um in which kind of problematic pop, pop cultural artifacts have been redacted so like the blackface episodes of shows like 30 rock and community and scrubs have been removed from script from streaming um and you know Food brands have said that they're removing their smiling black mascot and a lot of white people who play black characters on um, cartoons have said that they are not going to do the roles anymore and that it should be black voice actors who play these parts. But then she's kind of saying that you can't truly reckon with the past through erasure or you can, but that Lovecraft Crunchy offers a more productive version of reckoning and a, a better way of learning because you're actually seeing these things that people want people want you to not know that there were sundown towns for real in the US like 60 years ago. People want you to forget that there were literally um, zoos with black children in them that people would pay to come and look at the kids. Like, it's people want you to forget that history. And I think it's so great having these shows that actually portrays it. In, and it's not like a lighthearted way, but it's in, you're watching a fictional tv show and you're still learning so much about the past and how fucked it is
2: yeah and like taking hp lovecraft whether he was a racist piece of shit or not which he was his work has been so influential in the science fiction genre that you can't you can't remove it from existing just because he was a horrible person so in because this is what we always talk about where we we say what do you do when a really flawed human, a really terrible human, creates really influential art. And we just know culturally that we can't remove the artistic values of a person like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski or even Michael Jackson from the culture. So this is a really clever way of saying, no, it exists, it's influential, we can still be inspired by it. And we can also reckon with the fact that he was a fucking horrible racist. And we can create a show with a black female showrunner and an all black cast about the black experience that's also informed by this person's work. And all those things can just happen at once. And it's just a really, like, it's just a really smart way of dealing with that whole issue.
3: Mm. Yeah, such a good show. Everyone should watch.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I wanted to talk to you about Leandra
2: Medine, who has posted. She was off Instagram from July because she got a lot of backlash around Man Repeller during Black Lives Matter. She announced she'd stepped down from Man Repella, and then she didn't post for about a month and now she started posting again and she released a kind of long public statement via a new newsletter she's created about why she went silent and what she's learned in this time and a bit of an update on her and is she going to be posting on Instagram again and whatnot. And I found it
3: very interesting so I wondered what you made of it i didn't realize that leandra hadn't been posting on instagram i just hadn't noticed at all and then i so i knew you should step back from man because for anyone who's not across it basically when covid hit man let go a bunch of employees but including crystal anderson um one of their like what is it most esteemed black employees who was quite a big face of Man Repeller. and when she was let go everyone was kind of questioning why that was why she hadn't really been communicated properly with and she kind of came out saying that her experiences at Man Repeller were less than ideal and that a lot of black employees then came forward or black people of color um, and minority groups came forward saying that they had the same experiences so Leandra stepped back and from her role completely and then this kind of blog post that she's randomly posted on a new website, I think, um, is her kind of coming out and saying, this is why I went silent. I'm returning to things and explaining herself. And I don't know. I kind of just felt like it was a bit meh. It was just very me, me,
2: me, 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 me where she basically said, you know, I created Man Repeller and I was so excited that Man Repeller was such a success and I didn't know how to divorce my own idea of ambition and success from Man Repeller's success and I put too much of myself into Man Repeller and I wasn't a great leader and I spoke to lots of people and they told me and now I understand that I wasn't a great leader but I'm still going to work for Man Repeller sort of. And it was just – it didn't feel like the words of someone – who's had a profound understanding <laughs> of race and privilege and how they buy into that, it felt like someone who had spent a lot of time thinking about themselves and what they wanted to do with their lives and how their life looked after Man Repeller and who was navigating that and who was navigating why they wanted to post on social media and how they wanted to work with Man Repeller and why they wanted to do what they do and who they are and what's... To- it was like her personal journey into her own <laughs> yeah. discovery you know like it was
3: uh, yeah the, the, and she was even you know. explaining things like being like i've had heaps of messages from people saying that they missed my content and that they liked my content i'm like what if what it just
2: seems like a random thing to bring up right now and i just think that that's really not what the point of her comeback announcement should have been from my personal perspective because i think if man is a major power player in american new media you have an obligation to discuss with transparency why your company wasn't inclusive what mistakes were made along the way how you're remedying those mistakes and why it's important to remedy those mistakes in a way that doesn't center yourself in the narrative and i just think unless she'd done that already and done that well there wasn't really room to do something about how she felt being told that she was a shit boss
3: and then she was like i have been doing anti-racist work but that now is not the time or place to discuss that. I was like when is <laughs> if
2: it's not now? I think now. it is. It's it's <laughs> funny. It's like how when Emma Watson um posted on Instagram during Black Lives Matter cuz she'd posted like nothing about it and then posted a screenshot from a British Vogue article that said something along the lines of we need oh, yeah. to we need to stop taking an attitude of pics or it didn't happen in activism that you don't have to share every single thing that you're doing on social media for it to be valid. But that article was written by a black writer who I think was, was no, who
3: literally was like in the article, she was speaking to black people.
2: Yes. Saying you don't this, you don't have to be actively fighting for this right now. If you're fucking exhausted, it's okay. It wasn't for a, a white celebrity with 60 million Instagram followers to bow out of engaging in a conversation it's just I find it funny that someone who posts talking about Leandra Medina who posts intimate pictures of her her toddler daughters and what they're eating and what she's having for dinner and what she's wearing and where she bought what she's wearing from and like is happy to share the intimate details of her favorite pair of sandals thinks it's not the time and place to show the intimate details of like all the knowledge and education she's had on this really important topic that white people are desperately looking towards the people they admire to be speaking about
3: i know and black people are looking to their employer or former employee employer to make a change that she said she's making yeah it's a funny one it's also been interesting watching as brands kind of recover from this period glossier i didn't even realize had been brought down as well Um, i didn't know that yeah emily wise released a huge statement about it and there's been another instagram account like about anti-glossier stuff and actually i've been doing some thinking about the wing and glossier and obviously i think that any serious allegations of Racism or discrimination or anything need to obviously be taken seriously. But I think with these brands especially, you've kind of found it as being, because they because they marketed themselves and because they were so open about being a feminist inclusive brand, both Glossier and The Wing, I think that people piled on them so much harder than any brands that just haven't said anything or haven't tried to align with feminism or haven't tried to align with... Um, or intersectional feminism, or just inclusivity, and it's interesting because when you speak to people who went to the wing in LA and who went to the wing in New York, who I have I have friends here in LA, um, and they're kind of like obviously specific allegations need to be taken seriously. Like if a manager was literally sexually trying to trying to sexually assault employees that's horrific and that's it's a whole thing in itself but it's funny how people pile on to these big places who are just trying to do good for the most part like they're actually trying and they might be failing and they might be like tripping up along the way but it's like it's funny how we tear down like people who are trying way worse than people who just don't even give a shit and and just don't say anything it's like it's it's so much easier to not say anything
2: yes i agree i feel i feel as if we have created on the internet a culture where if you try and don't get it right, you are eviscerated in a way that you just don't get if you don't try at all. And I think it's yeah. been really evident with the nature of um, say Instagram influencers or Instagram models or um, mummy bloggers or or. Palatable white blonde women who do not engage in anything political, who do not try, who act entirely in their own financial self interest, who do not use a giant platform to promote anything that uh, could be positive or helpful for the world, who say this is this is literally just exists for me to get likes and make money and that's it. Like that has this level of respect online, where people never have a go at you or give you shit or say anything. Whereas if you're someone who's trying messily, clumsily, humanly trying to navigate your way through doing something good with the power and influence you have, it just seems like those are the people that are the subject of horrible teardowns. And Mm -hmm. I think people just need to be really careful with how they respond to that. It's not about saying that people shouldn't be held accountable Obviously people should, but it's also, yeah, just trying not to fucking gleefully destroy something. Yeah.
3: It's just like trying to create a feminist utopia was never going to go well, but at least they were trying. And honestly, at the wing, I've never felt more, like I've never seen a more inclusive space than at the wing. and. It's shit if things were going on behind the scenes at specific locations that made their that made people's experiences really bad, and they shouldn't be excused from that at all. But it's like, yeah, it's like at least they were bloody trying, I guess.
2: Yeah, we just don't want to create a culture where it's easier for people not to try. Yeah, you know, I think that's the big thing. Like, if we create if we create a culture where it's just way easier for no one to speak out and no one to do anything and no one to give it a go. And if we treat people who try and fail with like way more scorn and hatred than people who don't try at all, then obviously you're just creating a system where everyone's just going to say, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to do my own thing and care about myself because it's just makes my life way better.
3: I would also like to do a quick pivot to talk about Paul Mescal. Great. Always (laughs) welcome. (laughs) So this is an old story, but I just... I'm not sure why we didn't talk about it on the podcast, and I still think it is very relevant to what's happening right now. So, Paul Mescal, normal people, 2020s, biggest hottie. If Timothy Chalamet was 2019, Paul Mescal is undoubtedly 2020. Um, most eligible bachelor until really recently, when Phoebe Bridges, who is a US-based musician, they started some Twitter flirtation. And then she full-on flew to Dublin, Ireland, in the middle of a pandemic to meet up with Paul Mescal. They had to quarantine uh-huh. together for two weeks. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? would fly but it's through a pandemic? Funniest a a story. pandemic plague. So Ireland. I was listening to it on Who Weekly, and they were chatting about it. They had a whole segment about how she'd been spotted in Ireland with him. Um, and then they would have obviously had to quarantine for two weeks together, and that was the first time they ever met. That's amazing. It's wild. And I didn't know who Phoebe Bridges was. I googled her after, and she's actually like seems really fucking cool. Some really onto it indie musician. She's a real babe, and she is gunning it for Paul Mescal before he. How old is she? I don't is know, she a teenager? Runs off with Meghan Markle. No, because he's he's like twenty six, right? I think everyone's like so much. Now. I
2: have um um I have age dysmorphia. Oh, <laughs> uh,
3: he's twenty four. Oh wow. Phoebe Bridges is twenty six. And he's 24. But I wish he was going out with... I wish he was going out with... Daisy. Oh. Mizkow recently joined the celebrity dating app Rhea. Izzy. Bloody hell. Someone else we know is on
2: the celebrity dating app Rhea.
3: I'm actually not. I cancelled it because it was fucking... It's like money. And also there's just shit, dumb people on it. Apart from... I went on it because... (laughs) For a bit of background. Our friend Jake gave me a friend pass for it when we were really drunk one night because Lewis Hamilton's on there and I love Lewis Hamilton because he's a vegetarian, climate-loving bae. And this was months and months ago. So I signed up and I saw Lewis Hamilton on it and I swiped yes and obviously he didn't swipe yes for me. So then I cancelled it. It's gone. But I didn't know Paul Mescal was on it till Phoebe Bridges. Yeah,
2: reactivate for Paul Mescal. Or is it too late?
3: Phoebe Bridges has already gotten in there.
2: God, she's such a clever little cookie.
3: My hat goes off to her. I want to hear like more quarantine romance stories. Please DM us if you have any.
2: Yeah. Personal. Personal. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a celebrity one; just a personal story.
3: Yeah.
2: Cute. Love them. Cool. Okay. Well, we might like now slot in our Depresso chat that we told you about before.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Here it is. Love that. (laughs) Grab the (laughs) tip. how are you
2: i'm okay so it's been it's just so funny the um double lives that we're leading at the moment cuz i'm like how are you and you're like amazing doing this and then it's like how are you and i'm like um oh, sad <laughs> i know my mom as you may know has been in hospital for quite a while so i flew back from the uk because she needed to get brain surgery Um, and it seemed as if it was all going okay. And then she got a really severe infection and ended up back in hospital with a brain infection and had to have another surgery and then was in the ICU for ages. And now she's back in hospital a third time. And it's just really, um, it's just a really stressful, obviously experience. And it's really compounded by COVID because, uh, I'm away from, england i'm away from my partner zach it's been two months now and you can't if you're traveling back if you're leaving it's going to be really hard to come back into australia again because they're now making you pay like
3: like three grand to quarantine and you would have to quarantine for two weeks so even if something happened when you were in london you would have to to not you wouldn't be able to get there for about 15, 16 days. Yes,
2: exactly. So it's so then deciding when to leave becomes a big thing and everything's expensive and blah, blah, blah. But the reason I wanted to bring it up and talk about it is because we talk about everything else and also because I feel as if it's really opened up some really interesting conversations with you and with other really good friends of mine who've had sick parents or who've had parents who've died and I realize that when this these things happen to your parents, it's the worst thing that's happened to you. And you've gone through the worst thing that's happened to you and a whole bunch of my other really good friends have too. And we've just never, ever talked about it before. And then when me and you started having the conversation, it's like me and you have talked about everything, but we really haven't talked about your dad being sick. You know what I mean? And I think it's just because death and illness is this weird fucking thing that no one wants to go near.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I also think that... When, so I was actually speaking to a friend in LA the other day, whose dad has also died, and we're out for dinner, and we were talking about just we're speaking about how your mum's sick and about, uh, I don't know, dead parents, I guess. And she was like, "The reason we don't, the reason you don't ever bring it up, even though it's the biggest thing that's going on with your life, even though for years afterwards it's all you can think about, and you're crying all the time, and you're up and down, and you feel." crazy is because no one else really unless they've been through it no one else understands like you you actually can't explain it to someone so it's hard to you just won't don't bother and also because it's such a downer like you're literally just saying I feel really sad about something and everyone's like oh okay well and if you haven't been through it you just don't even know what to say to make it any better
2: yeah and you and people don't want to go near I remember my um cousin actually it was really really awful died a year and a half ago and she had a really young kid and was only 30 and it was really heartbreaking and when I saw my auntie and uncle um in England earlier this year they were saying that they were so shocked the work that the not the worst part but the worst unexpected part of the grief was that a bunch of really really good friends of theirs just didn't show up like didn't call weren't there weren't checking in on them and that they'd bumped into some friends of theirs a year later and they'd really apologize and they were just kind of like we didn't know what to do and it's this really strange thing that happens with grief where people just get people are so terrified by death and crying and pain and sickness and all of these messed up parts of being a human that they'll just run like the hills to avoid it and then that ends up grief is compounded by the fact that you feel really isolated too because people just don't want to go near the sad person because they think it brings them closer to death.
3: Yeah, it's like people are so worried about saying the wrong thing that they say nothing at all, which is often a lot worse. Or even like I found with when my so <laughs> Family chat. Family so tree. My <laughs> stepdad <laughs> My family is so fucked up, Grace. I remember when I tried to explain it to you once and you were like, oh my God. I just It's like that cannot It's understand. Always Sunny meme where he's got like the red pen and like the board with all of the photos and the circles connecting <laughs> to each other. It's actually such a joke. Like Grace was like, I thought you only had a sister. And I was like, I have a sister, four <laughs> brothers and three step siblings. So there's like 10 of us. <laughs> um, but... My... So I don't really... I don't have a relationship at all with my real dad. And my stepdad came into my life when I was really young. Like, I think six. And he raised me. And so my last name now is his last name. Like, he fully adopted me. So he was... It was me, mum, and him. Like, my whole growing up. And we we you know, really close. Um, as close as a vegetarian can be with a farmer. <laughs> and I <laughs> kept trying to, like, kill all my baby lambs that I would um, save. But other than that, we were good. Um, but, yeah, he got sick with cancer. And it's that thing where when they're sick, when someone is sick, it's all you can think about. And I remember mm. cancer was – it felt, honestly, like there was this cloud over our house, of this cancer cloud over our house, and all I could think about and all I could – do was cancer and also because it's like when someone is sick i think other people just don't realize how intense because you're not talking about it all the time but how intense it is looking after someone like he refused mm. to have anyone any nurses or anything oh that like they would come when he was really sick they'd come and check in and that's what's been happening with your mum, where they've been coming and checking in but mm-hmm. he would refuse to have any help so we literally had to be with him 24 hours like if Mum was having a shower i had to be with him it was really intense but I when he passed away, um, is like the in-pouring of support and then within a couple of weeks everyone goes back to their real lives and that's when you you're feeling your worst. Because that's when it's kind of settled down and you've stopped trying to plan a funeral and do all this intense crazy stuff. And like even when my <coughs> ex-boyfriend died, who died in a car crash when I was younger, I remember being so in denial that I was so worried about you'd love this, what I wore to his funeral.
2: Mm, of course, though, so, because you're still a teenager.
3: But I was out buying like new shoes on the morning of his funeral, and then it's not until like weeks later that you actually figure out what happened.
2: I remember when my one of my best friends' dad passed away when we were we just finished high school, and her family always said that the worst part was the day after the funeral because they said it was the same thing that everyone's around the house everyone's rocking up delivering food sending cards sending flowers calling and then the funeral happens and then it just you suddenly wake up and it's still your life but everyone else who was around the grief can kind of go back to doing what they're doing and just on the caring thing again it's it's such a it's such a strange thing because a lot of the time I mean different to what it would have been like with your dad but a lot of the time when I was at hospital I wasn't doing anything I was just sitting in a room and for six hours a day or eight hours a day or whatever just like sitting by the bed and chatting to her and talking to nurses and calling people to update them on her condition and stuff you're not actually doing anything demanding but you feel so fucking drained at the end of every day I just felt incapable of doing anything else I remember I would go out with really good girlfriends of mine who would take me out for dinner or for a coffee or something and I just couldn't talk properly I didn't know how to make conversation I was being just awkward and clunky and just I I couldn't and with you you've been so amazing with the podcast because I think you just understood straight away that I was just going to be incapable of being on and it's it's just a really weird thing. And it's a really, I just, for people who have this, I mean, it seems touch wood, like my mum's getting better now and we're through the worst of it, but it's just for people that do this in an ongoing way for months or years, I just...
3: Yeah, well, that was the first time I ever got anxiety. That was when anxiety started for me and it's never gone away really since. Now it's just a condition I have to manage. But I had never experienced it before until my stepdad got sick and I started trying to do normal things like going to dinner or going out for drinks or going places where i didn't know the people who were around me and it was yeah crazy but that's the thing with experiences which is the one thing that i always anytime something shit happens to me as you know i'm always like this is a way this is a new way of me being able to connect with other people Mm -hmm. a new way of me like understanding the world and the people around me and having empathy for people because beforehand, like me and you had never talked about this stuff. I know. Not in detail. And now it's like, you know, you messaged me yesterday and you were like, the nurses are so fucking shit. They said this, but it's this. And I was like, that the same thing happened with me. They said he was gonna be fine. I had to call like an ambulance to the fucking house in front of a nurse who was supposed to, who wasn't doing her job. Like it's like there's so many intense things that that happen. And then now you understand this whole other yeah, horrible world. And I
2: think people say that about grief, how once you start grieving, you can see it on other people going down the street. It's mm. this really strange thing. And the other thing I was going to say as well is that um, this might be a bit of a dark turn to take the podcast in very quickly. But you've met my dad. My dad's a real, I don't know if hippie is the word, but he like re- he reads a lot of spiritual books and knows a lot about religion and he's got a very kind of philosophical
3: view of life and he we should set him up with my mum. oh my god we would be sisters can you <laughs> yeah. imagine donna loves to read a good aura she loves reiki she meditates every day i feel like they might she went through a phase when she
2: thought she was a witch that's yeah i love this so he has always instilled in me and my brother what i think sounds to other people like a very morbid relationship with death so from like a very very young age he would talk to us about death a lot when I was 11 if I called him to talk about stuff that was happening at school that I was annoyed about he'd say you could just get hit by a car tomorrow so like don't even worry about it or like I could I could drop dead tomorrow Have you ever thought about that like he would just always talk to us about death and remind us that he was gonna die and my mum was gonna die and we were gonna die and everyone we loved were gonna die and it sounds horrible but the thinking behind it was that a lot of people a lot of the thing that happens with grief is that people get surprised by death I think because we really live in a culture that shields us from knowing that death is going to happen and I think then it can become this horrible shock when it does we don't walk around with this feeling of inevitability that death is going to happen to people that we love so then Yeah, I just I feel like it made my mental processing of everything that was going on a little easier that I'd always known it was inevitable that people I loved could get sick or that people I loved could be in really terrible situations.
3: It just helped me get my head around it a bit. I always wonder what is harder someone being sick and watching that process or someone just dying Mm. and i mean i've had both things happen to me but not with a parent yeah like i've had a my ex-boyfriend who was like my first love we went to the prom together everything died in a car crash really suddenly and that was horrible but that's also like a different context because i was 19 that would be so traumatic though like compared to like a parent dying but yeah i wonder what's worse i think for me being able to Get my head around it for like six months, probably made it a bit easier, but it was still fucked Mm. for like two years.
2: Yeah, the whole thing is just a nightmare.
3: And I remember I used to, just to lighten the mood a bit, I remember when he died, I had started a new job and I was like trying to keep going to work every day, and this random Ed Sheeran song would come on the radio, and I don't even listen to Ed Sheeran. I mean, he's fine, but whatever. And this random Ed Sheeran, that photograph song, whatever it is, would come on the radio and I would just burst into tears every single time. And I was like, why Ed Sheeran? <laughs> Grief manifests itself in strange ways. I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassed and I'm crying. <laughs> oh. Okay, so that was it. Thank you, everybody. Grace is just learning how to do um, intros, outros, any, basically anything that involves her having to say something semi-scripted is honestly like pulling teeth.
2: Pulling teeth. I always left the emotional labor of the intros and outros to Izzy, but we've got to even
3: things up. <laughs> I left the emotional labor of the research and <laughs> facts to you, so that's good. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe, everybody. We have been seeing you with your incredible reviews, and it's been making week and month and year so thank you very much someone actually just posted on our Facebook group today asking how they review from an Android user and I don't even know what to say, I don't even know the advice I need to google it and give it to them ASAP did you? I was like no I I need to, to. (laughs) I haven't
2: yeah we will, we'll figure it out and tell you, I don't know about Androids, I had one for a while do you remember? No had a Samsung, is that an
3: Android? Yep Remember, I threw my ex-boyfriend's Samsung into the shower when I was angry, and it broke. Yes. Yes, I do
2: remember that. R.I.P. That's hilarious. Uh. R.I.P. Yeah, so thank you for listening. Review, 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 review. And we'll see you next time. Only
3: positively don't review about, don't say, they talked depressing stuff that made me cry on a Wednesday morning. Yeah, if you think that,
2: just... um, DM yourself.
3: DMs, to <laughs> 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 DMs Tell are Tell a open. friend. Yeah. Com-
2: complain to a friend. Keep it off the internet, and yeah. uh, we'll see you on Saturday. Saturday. Bye. Bye. Bye.